I have two sermons left I want to preach. How much time do I have? Some I misjudged, I guess, I don't know, but uh, I do believe I have sensed God's desire for us tonight. I want you to turn to Ezekiel, if you would please, Ezekiel. I want to begin by mentioning people that God has been pleased to reach, not only in the scriptures, but also in recent days through history. I love to tell the stories of some of those individuals that have been reached. I read with interest a summary of George Mensick's life. I heard him preach, I think, twice, and actually am a dollar poorer than I could be. Because in his message, he offered the first person that would come up a dollar bill. I desperately wanted it. It was a silver dollar. It wasn't a dollar bill. It was a silver dollar. Desperately wanted it, but so backward and shy, just about had my nerve worked up. And my cousin, Lee Markward, got up there before I did and got the silver dollar. He was, of course, illustrating faith in the Word of God. But his testimony is exceptional, and I know you're familiar with that and have heard it. But there's so many others that God has reached and so many other lives that God has changed. April 21st, 1855, Kimball visited the Holton Shoe Store, found Moody in a stockroom, and there spoke to him of the love of Christ. Moody shortly after was saved, impacted thousands with the gospel of Christ, being known as the founder of Sunday School. To whom does the credit go for those thousands that were reached? Mel Trotter, a continuous alcoholic, also came to Christ while on his way to Lake Michigan. He was headed there to commit suicide when asked how he knew he was saved. He'd say, I was there January 19, 1897. John Bunyan came to Christ upon hearing some ladies talk about God's love and a new birth after they had been convinced of their own wretchedness of heart. 1934, Oliver B. Green, consumed with drinking, stealing, bootlegging, immorality, at age 20, attended a revival meeting, purely for the purpose of seeing if he could date a country girl. But there heard a sermon on the wages of sin. He said, I was convinced, convicted, and converted. Five months later, he was called to preach. Hudson Taylor was saved after reading a religious pamphlet. George Mueller lived a lifestyle of stealing, gambling, gambling, novel reading, licentiousness, extravagance, and almost every form of sin, including robbing from his own father to indulge in more sin. After a time in prison at age 16, at 1825, after attending a prayer meeting where a sermon was simply read and prayer offered at the close of the meeting, he trusted Christ as a Savior. Adoniram Judson was saved in a country inn in 1808 when he heard a man next door moaning in the throes of death. Charles Finney was saved the morning of October 10th, 1821. Simply while walking to work, the Spirit of God pressed upon him his sin. He had to go off into the woods to seek God's forgiveness. John Newton was saved in the middle of an ocean during a severe storm. Surrendered to God April 21st, 1855. Raised in an orphanage, loving the game of baseball, Billy Sunday, after a time out on the town with his teammates in 1886, passed by the Pacific, Pacific Garden Mission. Hearing songs, he remembered his mother singing as a small child. After attending on Sundays for a period of time, a matron that worked at the mission led him to Christ. 
Those and many other stories are stories that we hear and there's something about them that encourages us to know that God can reach into the depths of the depravity of man and save souls from the wretched sin. I think of the demoniac of Gadara and am amazed that Christ going there simply for that purpose, it would seem to talk to that man. Delivered from the demons, clothed in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus, stayed to impact a 10-city area Decapolis with the message of the greatness of God. I think of the woman at the well who ran and told the men of the city, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Confronting people with their sin is the very thing that gives them hope that there's a Savior that can deliver them. Christ didn't skirt the issue, but rather in confronting her with that sin, she began to be a witness to those men. Christ was invited to stay for two days and about seven years later, Philip the Evangelist, upon the persecution that scattered the church, went to that city and found the whole city with joy receiving the message of the gospel. We, of course, would, could go on with stories like that, but we have challenged you on Sunday with the reality that the Holy Spirit is the best friend that you could possibly have. He not only convinces us of sin and directs us in our life, but he empowers us to give the gospel. And he actually prompts us to talk to people about Jesus. And the question is whether we will or won't. And I challenge you with the life of Abraham to look north, south, east, and west and to get a vision for what God could do with your life, not in the reference to claiming some land literally, but understanding that God has given each of us a posterity and he wants to reach this world with the gospel. And we need to believe that we can reach, have, as it were, birth children that will then birth others, that the entire world might be reached with that gospel of Christ. God wants to use us to reach others. And as you look at the stories in the Bible, you find that's what happened as a result of those that were reached. Paul, known as Saul at that time, stopped dead in his tracks by the convincing power of the Spirit of God. Jesus Christ speaking to him said, why are you persecuting me? Paul was on that day given his commission, though we don't read about it until Acts 26. And God said, I saved you for this purpose, that you'd preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And he was faithful in that mission and reached to thousands with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm saying to us that God saved us for a purpose. Not to sit, not simply to be educated, not simply to go to a conference or to some kind of a revival meeting, make decisions, and then continue to be as we always were. But rather to see God change our lives and empower us and strengthen us and give us vision to believe that God can do something with us that's never happened before. Not because of who we are, but because of the spirit of Christ that is in us and the power of God that is upon us. Power with God and power with men, as we've heard from Brother Visser all week long. And so I want us to be challenged this evening to recognize that these stories that we read about and these people that stir our hearts because their lives have been changed, their souls have been saved, the grace of God has come upon them. Every church has to has, has, should have their own stories and does have their own stories. And I'm challenging Falls Baptists to recognize as much as God has done here in this ministry and through this ministry, you have literally dozens upon dozens, hundreds of contacts 
just as a result of the recent Christmas festival. And I'm saying some of you have been diligent in following up those names, but don't follow up on them once. But remember to go back again and again to touch base, build relationships for those that are not yet saved because God wants to reach this community. I'm saying he's going to use you to do it. And those of you that are from other areas, the same thing is true. We had a man in our church that arranged the drugs by which his mother OD'd and ended up dying. He now leads a ministry at Good News in Rockford, or not Rockford, Indianapolis. He's part of the staff there serving, being used of God. We're familiar with people that have been changed and dynamically reached. We're familiar with people that have been saved as children and have remained faithful like the Timothys of the Bible who are told to not just receive that which was given to them by their mother or their grandmother, but then to take that which they have received and commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I'm saying that the multiplication mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ only works if every person that's saved realizes that God saved them so that they could reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've heard preaching from Ezekiel chapter 3. And I've heard some pretty good messages about standing in the gap and about the blood that will be upon our hands if we do not give that message of deliverance to those that are in captivity. We are watchmen, as it were, to guard for the sake of the souls of others. And I've heard those messages preached, and I and many like me have not been moved to do much more than we've done in the past. And I found myself asking, what is it? What what keeps us from doing what we're cautioned to do? In Ezekiel 22, 30, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. In Ezekiel 3, 17 through 21, it tells us that we're responsible to warn the wicked to make sure that we're the ones that talk to them of their wickedness, lest their blood be upon our hands. We also know the commands of the New Testament. We've heard them repeatedly. And the commands of the New Testament, I'm talking about the Great Commission at this point, Matthew 28, Luke 24, Mark 16, John 20. These commands, these commissions given by Christ himself, each one of them comes with a promise of his presence or a promise of his power. And so summarized, summarized in Acts 1.8, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And yet are we? Are we doing what we could? Are we doing what we should? And I found myself asking, what is it that Ezekiel had seen How is it that Ezekiel was called? How is it that Ezekiel was moved to preach the message that he was called to preach and obey the command that God gave him in reference to standing in the gap and making up the hedge? And I thought maybe we're missing something. Maybe we're preaching on Ezekiel chapter 3, the end of the chapter, and we should be looking at Ezekiel chapters 1, 2, and 3. And I was not disappointed because I saw what I believe are four principles that we've got to get a hold of 
if we are ever going to be the witnesses that God wants us to be. So I'd like to look at those this evening. I trust you'll stay with me. I trust that you'll jot down some notes. And I trust that you'll ask God to move in your heart and help you to understand that the church's commission has not changed. The power of the gospel has not changed. The message has not in any way been weakened. The circumstances that we find ourselves in, the age group that we happen to be in, the circumstances that we're personally in, that our country is in, that our church faces does not do anything to diminish the responsibility to give the gospel to those around us. Yet we find reasons that we don't quite get around to it or get, get it done. So I trust that we will look at these principles with seriousness and ask God to speak to our heart and move us to faithfulness that we might stand in the gap, that we might warn the wicked, lest their blood indeed be upon our hands. Father, I pray that you would use your word to speak to hearts. Lord, I'm simply a messenger. It's a privilege to be here. This is such a unique time in history. And to think that you've allowed me to be a part of what you're doing right here in this ministry at this moment. Hearts that have been stirred, lives that have been impacted. But Father, I pray that the work that you've begun would not stop with the end of this awakening conference. But rather that the ministry and the work of your word and the ministry of the Spirit of God would actually multiply and increase and intensify in our lives as we go forth now and seek to implement the many, many truths and principles that have impacted our life. God, would you work tonight, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. I, join you, I invite you to join with me in Ezekiel chapter 1. And of course, Ezekiel chapter 1 communicates a vision that Ezekiel had. And I'm going to go through this quickly because the point isn't the vision that Ezekiel had. The specifics of it, anyway. In verse 3, we read that the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel. And we read that the hand of the Lord was there upon him. Then we read of a vision that Ezekiel had, and in that vision he saw a whirlwind with the likeness of four creatures in the midst. The chapter continues with the description of these creatures. There's in much detail given as Ezekiel can best find words to try and describe what he has seen before him. In verse 15, Ezekiel describes a wheel by the living creatures and the appearance of the wheels in verse 16. In verse 25, Ezekiel describes a voice from the firmament that was over the heads of these four creatures. And then a throne is seen in verse 26 above the firmament. In verse 27, there is, as it were, the appearance of fire. And in verse 28, the appearance of a rainbow. But don't miss it. Look at verse 28. This was, end of the verse, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face and I heard a voice of one that spake. I believe the first reason that we do not get a hold of the importance of getting the message of the gospel to others is that we have not been properly impacted by the glory of the Lord. Anybody that's impacted by the glory of the Lord is never the same. Isaiah said he was undone. 
Ezekiel, we hear, find here, he sees it and he falls upon his face. Daniel, in a different regard, found himself, and I wrote it down here somewhere, but I've lost my notes. His comeliness, he said in me, turned to corruption. And he was not able to retain his strength. John, the beloved, fell at the feet of the glorified Christ in Revelation 1 as a dead man. Peter, after a fruitless night of fishing, casting his net on the other side, saw the glory of God through Jesus Christ. He said, depart from me, I am a sinful man. Job, in having a conversation with his counselors, was not moved at all, but when he had a conversation with Jesus Christ and began to comprehend all that Christ was and all that the triune God was in his creative power and all that he had done, he said, I abhor myself and repent. When's the last time God consumed us with his glory? It can't be fabricated. I, I hesitate to preach this message because I can't communicate what I want to say. There's a few times in my life I believe that I've been impacted with the glory of God in some regard. One time was reading Psalm 23. And I came to that passage and said, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I can't explain it. You can't fabricate it. The Spirit of God has to be partnered with the Word of God. As He manifests to you the glory of God. But I begin to think, Statement after statement, and I won't try to repeat them now, but he died that I might live. He became sin, that I might be rich, righteous. He was a servant, that I might become a son. And phrase after phrase after phrase from the word of God came to me about the reality of who I was in Christ and why it would be possible that I, a sinner like I am, could dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it moved me. It stirred me to the depths of my soul. It impacted me. I want to say something that seems disconnected, but it's not. As you have made decisions this week, as God has spoken specifically to your heart, as you have embraced principles, as some of you have died to yourself, as some of you have surrendered parts of your life that you've never surrendered before, it is not uncommon for God to appear with you, to you in some way. I'm not talking about anything spooky, unusual. I'm talking about God manifesting himself in some way that says, I am a glorious God. You didn't make a mistake. I will walk with you. I will be with you. I will enable you. I remember shortly after I surrendered to full-time Christian ministry, God spoke to my heart at Stoughton Baptist Church under the leadership of Dr. George Cable. Couldn't tell you what he preached on. It was before the message. The offering was about to be taken up, and God said, put some money in the offering. I'd already given my tithe and my offerings to the Lord for the paycheck that I had. 
Everything went on my college bill at that time except a little bit of change to put in my wallet for gas. Didn't really spend money on anything else at that point in my life. Thought, okay, no problem. I opened up my wallet. I had all that I had in my wallet. I thought I'll take a dollar or two, honor God's request to put some money in the offering and go on my way. But when I opened my wallet, all I had was a $10 bill. And that's all I had. Probably like $100 today, but I mean $10 went a little bit further than it does now. And I had to make a decision in that moment. Am I going to obey God or am I going to hope that there's money in the offering plate I can make some change? As the first person the offering plate came to and I knew that wasn't going to happen. And in my mind and heart, I already had it resolved. I was going to obey. Put the $10 in the offering and I walked out of church that night with $11 and this thought hit me. God tithes on my gifts. God tithes on my gifts and I believe in that moment I saw the glory of God. God's not manifesting his glory just so we can get an emotional surge. He's manifesting our, his glory so that we'll talk about him. We'll do what he's told us to do. We will understand that we are doing something that is supernatural, not natural. Something that is not of the flesh, but is of God. And I wonder, I just wonder, and I wonder if there's some that just need to tarry before God. Some of you have given phenomenal testimonies of your hour with the Lord and how God has worked and how he's spoken to you. But I just wonder if there's some here that need to get alone and get away somehow. And I'm not asking for anything unusual because you cannot fabricate this. But just ask God if he would manifest himself to you. If he'd be pleased to reveal himself to you in some way that you know it's him. And not just you. But then do something with it. Understand that if you serve such a great God that he can manifest himself in the simplest of ways, in some of the greatest of ways, he could certainly go with you and enable you to talk to people about the message that he gave you to talk to them about. That's what Ezekiel's being enabled to do here. He is being enabled to talk to, to people about a message that they're not going to like. Their faces are going to be hard toward him. They're going to reject much of what he says, but that's not the issue. God wanted him to give a message to his people, and the first thing that God did is showed him his glory, and he did the same thing with, these, uh, with Isaiah. Saying we're not making this up. And in some other ways, he did that with his disciples. So I'm saying the first thing we need to do is be impacted by God's glory. The moving of God. I believe this is an important statement. The moving of God in a moment of surrender should not be lost to us. God chooses to manifest himself to us at unique moments in our life for the purpose that we would be impacted with his glory, for the purpose that in seeing his glorious presence, we would communicate his powerful message. Notice with me, secondly, Ezekiel chapter 2. 
Not only do we need to be impacted with God's glorious greatness and power, but we desperately need the presence of God's spirit in our lives. We've talked about it. But here we see it again, Ezekiel stands up in obedience to God's command. The Spirit of God entered into him and began to speak to him. In Ezekiel 3, 14, we read, So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heart and my spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. In Ezekiel 3, 24. Am I in the right chapter? Yes, then the Spirit entered into me and set me upon my feet and spake with me. And said unto me, go shut thyself within thy house. I'm simply saying that the Spirit of God immediately became a real presence in Ezekiel's life. We understand that the Holy Spirit ministered in a different way, came upon God's servants as they were being used by God. We have no excuse for as we saw Sunday night, the Spirit of God is with us and he's in us. He's a very present person. The very person of God in us. In the Old Testament, as the Spirit of God came upon people, God used those people to do unusual, significant things. The Spirit of God who abides with us and is in us expects us to be faithful servants to the work of the Lord. We must be familiar with the enabling power of the Spirit of God. Obviously, the Spirit of God is given to us the moment we accept God's saving, saving grace. But as we tried to develop Sunday night, we are so unfamiliar. We don't hear His voice. And we don't pick up on what grieves Him. And it seems too often we don't care. And so it's now that God begins to unfold the mission Ezekiel will be given. He's to speak to God's people and his audience is described as rebellious. Verse 3. And I'm back in chapter 2 now. I kind of confused you because I mentioned chapter 2, but I started reading some verses in chapter 3. He said the people will be rebellious. He said they'll be impotent. Verse 4. There'll be a mean-spirited people, verse 6, briars, thorns, and scorpions was promised him. They'd be resistant people, verse 6, be not afraid of their faces or dismayed at their looks. And a people that will not listen, verse 7. And I'm saying simply that that same Spirit of God speaks to us today and tells us to go and to be faithful. Doesn't promise that the audience will always be friendly. If we're going to sense his direction and speak on behalf of God in the midst of a world that is so much in chaos today. And we said last night with deliberateness and purpose that half of the American churchgoers don't believe anybody wants to hear about their Christianity. The actual poll is 78%. Folks, that's only 22% that don't want to hear. 78% said they would be glad to engage in a conversation about the Christian faith. I'm just saying we're not trying. And beyond that, I would suppose that we're just not letting the Spirit of God lead us as we ought to. As painful as this illustration is, it's true. 
I was going to speak at a mission conference, of all things, a mission conference in Pensacola, Florida. I don't fly unless I have to, so I was driving. Got to Alabama from Indiana. When you get to the state line of Alabama, you're almost halfway there. It doesn't seem fair. You've gone through three states and you think, man, I'm making good progress. You get to Alabama and five hours later, you get where you're supposed to be. Stopped at that rest area. Maybe some of you have been on Interstate 65 with the rockets sitting there. I stopped and immediately noticed that there was a motorcycle group. I try not to call them a gang. It taints my opinion about them. There was a motorcycle group, and I especially noticed that there was one really nice bike there. I rode a lot of motorcycle for many years, a lot of miles. So I'm somewhat comfortable talking to them. I went in with this prompting, you ought to go talk to them, engage them in a conversation. I'd already been held up an hour by an accident on Interstate 65. I no more than got on 65 by Edinburgh. <coughs> I'm going to need some water. <coughs> and uh, so I started making these excuses. <coughs> I can't possibly stop and talk to them. I'm getting tight on my time. I'm supposed to preach tonight. <clears throat> that never happens to you, does it? I breathed in and the back of my throat got tickled. Must be amused at what I was saying. <clears throat> More importantly, it's probably something God wants you to hear. came back out they were still <coughs> they were still there spirit of god said you should talk to him i got in the car backed up had to drive past him spirit of god said there's room to pull over you should talk to him I went on. I can't tell you that they beat me up for my faith. I can't tell you that they took a track. I can't tell you that I was able to give one of them the gospel. I can't tell you they were interested or not interested because I didn't obey. And all I could do as I headed down the road is said, Lord, next time I stop, if they happen to be at that rest area, I will talk to them. Didn't happen. I know how to talk to motorcycle people. I just talked to some on our city square not too long before. There was a Black Lives Matter demonstration there, and I was there not demonstrating. But there was another motorcycle group there making sure that they were helping maintain the peace. They were at least on my side, I knew that. But I talked to them. And I said, who's your chaplain? That's what I always ask them. 
They either say we don't have one, but very often they say we do and they point at them. I engage them in a conversation. That's what I would have done that day. It wouldn't have been that hard. Going to a mission conference, ignoring the Spirit of God. We've probably all been there. But I'm saying it's not going to do any good to have a manifestation of the glory of God to get a good glimpse of who our God is and His majesty and His glory and His greatness, His holiness, like Isaiah did. Be overwhelmed with our inadequacy, but in the end find out that that glorious God is the one who has enabled us and has empowered us to serve Him and to talk about Him and to communicate the great God that we are, and then he puts himself in the very person of the Holy Spirit inside us. I'm just saying it doesn't do any good to hear words. You've got to respond. You've got to listen to the prompting of the Spirit of God. He'll never fail you. I want you to notice thirdly, not only do we need to be impacted with the glorious reality of who God is, And understand that we must be yielded and empowered to the Spirit of God who is within us. But thirdly, God says to Ezekiel in chapter 2 verse 8, But now thou son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like the rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat that I give thee. Ezekiel chapter 2 verse 9. And when I looked, behold... And hand was set, and hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. And he spread it before me, and it was written within and without, and there was written therein lamentations and mourning and woe. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest, eat this roll, and speak unto the house of Israel. Go speak unto the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll, and he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to to eat and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it and I was in it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And he said unto me son of man go get thee unto the house of Israel and speak my words unto them. I would say thirdly that if we are going to reach the lost people around us and impact our world, we've got to get a hold of the Word of God. We must allow it to fill us. We must be consumed with it. Not only to be impacted with God's glory and empowered by God's Spirit, but we have to be instructed by God's Word. The words in chapter 3, verse 3, speak to me, said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. God's word has to be consumed by us if we're going to have both the desire and the fortitude to confront our generation with the message of the gospel. That's what God has given us to preach. We don't have the message that Ezekiel was to preach, but we have the message to preach nonetheless. The bowels are often used to picture our compassion, and that could be the case here. We'll never be stirred with compassion for the eternal needs of others until we are filled with the words of God and see those we minister to as God sees them. 
But I suspect the analogy is probably simpler than that. We will never see God's word as the solution for others until God's word is sufficient to satisfy us. Fill your bowels with it. Folks, if we have not been satisfied and filled with the word of God, if we have not been amazed with how the precious truths of God's word minister to us and carry us through the trials and the promises assure us and, and the commands direct us, if, we, if we've never experienced that, if we have to have somebody else come to us and tell us, and I'm talking to some young Christians here, listen, it's great to have mentors, but you've got to get in God's word and you've got to understand that it works for you. You cannot always depend upon those around you to help you and to guide you and to feed you. Got to get into God's word and it must fill us and it must consume us and it must uh, be absorbed in such a way that we get excited about the truths and we cannot, not, cannot help but have it spill out of us as we talk to those around us. I want to say something. I want to say it very specifically and very directly. I have people tell me on a regular basis I had a chance to witness to so-and-so. Now you say, that's great. Now I ask, what did you say? I told them I was a Christian and invited them to church. That's great. It's a testimony, but it's not what God wants from us. I've told you before, but I'll remind you again, we've got to get to the gospel. We've got to get to the gospel. And there's only one way I can do it with my personality. If I talk about it being a nice day and what a cute dog and beautiful lawn, I never get back to it. I don't know how to steer it back, so I just say I'm Pastor Zemple from Martinsville Baptist Tabernacle and ask them, do you go to church? Doesn't matter what they answer. I just want to find out where they're at. Yeah, I used to go to such and such a church, whatever. And I know where they're coming from theologically. I know somewhat what their mindset is. Next question is pretty much always the same. Is anybody showing you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? Less than two minutes, usually sometimes less than 30 seconds. Engaged in the gospel. But we've got to understand that the gospel is a message of hope to sinners. And I would go through the gospel and I'd tell them that all are sinners and they would readily agree with me. And I'd tell them that Jesus died for their sin, sin and they would very often understand that and ask him, do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? And they say, I, I don't think so. It's like, what's wrong? I didn't give him the whole gospel. You're a sinner. And your sin has consequences. And we've got to learn how to say it. And it's different with every person. And the Spirit of God will direct you. But you've got to say, listen, that sin is going to take you to a Christless eternity. You're going to die. And go to hell. And I take, typically take them to Revelation and show them that even a person that lies is going to experience the lake of fire. And you can see when the gospel has gripped their heart, their countenance changes, they're serious, and they want a solution. And I tell them there's good news. Jesus took your place. He died for you. And by simply calling out to him, with a desire for him to take away your sin, change your life, you can be saved. And it's amazing the percentage of people that'll get saved. Because like the Samaritan woman, we weren't afraid to tell them about their sin. All about it.
the consequences. So we've got to let the word of God get a hold of us and not just talk about its glorious truths and its promises, though those things can be used to help somebody understand that there's a great God that loves them and wants to save them. But I'm saying we've got to get to the reality of the gospel and give them the truth of God's word. And understand that that same word of God that was a solution for us and is a guide for us is going to be the solution for them and a guide for them. A fourth principle. We need to be impacted with God's glorious greatness, enabled with the presence of God's spirit. We must be filled with the sweetness of God's word. But notice with me fourthly, in Ezekiel 3.15, we read Ezekiel came to the people. Then I came to them of the captivity of Tilabub and dwelt by the river Kibar. And I sat where they sat. And I remained there astonished among them seven days. Some of us need to admit that we really aren't that burden for sinners. The ministry of the addiction recovery that we had in our church until COVID changed my whole perception of the desperate need of humanity. Not because people are always like they are, caught in addictions and sinful habit patterns that have destroyed them and defeated them and shamed them and caused them to think that there's not possibly any God that would love them enough to forgive them of their sins and accept them as they are. But in talking to those individuals that have been in those circumstances, it's not hard to connect it with other people in their self-righteousness and their influence and help them understand as well that there's a God that cares about them and loves them. But we will never get to that message if we don't sit where they sat. First ministry that Dr. George Cable gave me at Stoughton Baptist Church was to ride the bus route. I didn't like children back then. Specifically bus children. I'm not trying to speak derogatory, but they're just raised differently. Parents don't always take care of them really well. Sometimes you'd have to go in and help them get dressed and help them get a piece of toast or something. A little different day to day, but and the homes just always had an unpleasant presence. I'll just say it that way. They'd come and they'd want to sit on your lap because they knew you loved them and they'd rub their running noses against your cheek. But about two weeks with those bus children and I got over my abhorrence of the dirt and the smell and the runny noses. I began to find my heart broken for those children and the homes and the conditions that they came from. Wanted to see them saved. God can do the same for us, whether it's somebody self-sufficient or some, somebody desperately, desperately caught in sin and trapped in disobedience. We've got to sit where they sit. We've got to learn to identify with what they identify with. We must be influenced by the needs of people around us. It's hard to love them if you're not with them.
Our failure, I believe, to reach the lost is because the glory of God is not on a regular basis impacting us. Not moved by this great God that we serve. Not sensitive to the spirit of God that he's placed within us. Not filled with the word of God in such a way that it consumes us. That we can't but help speak it to others. And not able to identify with the lostness of humanity. A millionaire is going to burn in hell the same way a drug addict is if we don't reach him. A message like this, I understand sometimes, is almost too much to absorb. There may be one of the four principles that spoke to you specifically, and I would challenge you to focus on that before God this evening. Getting back into his glorious presence or getting reacquainted with the spirit of God or getting back to the place where the word of God impacts you in such a way that you have something to give to other people. There's no excuse for a person that's been led to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to say, I don't know how to tell somebody else. You've got a testimony. And get where they are. Learn to think like they think. Identify with what they're struggling with. And people right now have a lot of fears. Vance Havner, that country preacher from Jugtown, Tennessee, said the vision must be followed by the venture. It's not enough to stare up the steps. It's time to step up the stairs. God has told us what to do. God has communicated to us truth that should have impacted us. The question is, how will we respond? Father, I pray that you'll help us to long for that glorious consciousness of the presence of Christ in our daily time with you, in our walk with you, in those unique moments that you meet with us. Be sensitive to the direction of the Spirit of God and be willing to obey his prompting. Be filled with the word of God in such a way that our bowels are filled with compassion and the knowledge of the truth that can set people free. And Lord, help us to be where they are. We get so consumed with our Christian ministries, we hardly know the fears that the world faces and the challenges that press upon them and the worries that consume them. Lord, help us to figure out how to sit where they sit. Would you help us respond to you, Spirit of God, tonight as you speak to our hearts, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.